0: Young, back to throw, in trouble, he's going to be sacked, no, gets away, he runs, gets away again, goes to the 40, gets away again, to the 35, cuts back at the 30, to the 20, the 50, the 10, he dies, touchdown
1: 49ers! Hello and welcome to another episode of the No Huddle Podcast presented by 49ers WebZone. I am Zane Nackvie. With my co-host, Al Sacco. And Al, the first preseason game is right around the corner. How excited are you? I can't wait. You know, we've been
2: doing the show for five months now. And we've been talking about things in, in, in the past tense and in projecting things. It's, it's, it's good to actually be able to start talking about camp and games. And, and, and I can't wait to get into it. And, and so much has happened already at these practices. There's the injuries at safety. seems like there's some issues at cornerback. Foster and Goodwin are shining right now. The D-line looks great. There's a lot to get into, and and Zane and I, we're, we're going to definitely talk about that and give our opinions and what we think so far. But before we do, I, I was able to have the opportunity to talk with Pete Prisco from CBS Sports. And Pete's been around the NFL for years, three decades, and he's really tied into the league. And he gave some great insight to me about the 49ers and, and what he thinks of Kyle Shanahan and John Lynch and, and the players and where he thinks they're headed. And he did that interview with Matt Ryan recently. That's gotten a lot of publicity where Ryan talked a little, a little bit about Shanahan and I was able to ask him about that. So it's going to be really informative for fans to listen to it. We were excited to have him on. So I want to uh, get to that and and have the fans listen to it because it was such a good interview. And then we'll get into the stuff about camp. So here we go. Here's the Prisco interview. <laughs> Our guest today has covered the NFL for three decades. He's currently the senior NFL columnist for CBS Sports. Welcome to the show, Pete Prisco. Pete, thanks for the time today. Well, when you say it like that, you make me feel old. (laughs) (laughs) You're like you're like an institution.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I am old, by the way.
2: (laughs) Hey, you're you're a well known name. You've been around the game for a long time. So we're we're excited to have you on the show. Now, I wanted to start off. You recently did an interview with with Matt Ryan, and it's gotten a lot of publicity. And obviously, we all know about Atlanta's collapse in the Super Bowl. And much of that did have to do with the play calling towards the end of the game that seemed to be overly aggressive, really with the outcome well in hand. And Ryan made some pretty blunt comments. And I just want to read a few sentences for our listeners who may not have heard them. He said, With the way Kyle's system was set up, he took more time to call plays, and we shift in motion a lot more than we did with her former coordinator, Dirk Cutter you couldn't get out of stuff like that. We talk about being the most aggressive team in football and I'm all for it, but there was also winning time. You're not being aggressive, not running there. Now, did you get the sense with Ryan, there was any bitterness with Kyle or was he just kind of being blunt with how we saw the situation?
0: No, he, didn't, he wasn't like putting the blame on him or anything. He, he just felt that everybody was, you know, everybody had their fair share in it, including Dan Quinn and, 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 you know, even Matt, I mean, and, and the defense wore down and everything else, but, I mean, the reality is if they took three knees after the completion of Julio Jones, they win the Super Bowl because they kick a field goal and they go up 11. So, yeah, it was bad play calling. And, uh, you know, their relationship wasn't great. Um, you know, and, and Matt didn't come out and exactly tell me this, but I've heard it from a bunch of different people there that the first year was really bad between the two of them. Uh, and last year, they kind of got together. And I give Kyle a lot of credit. because I, I thought Kyle uh, had all kinds of struggles the year before, but, you know, he kind of realized, look, I got to a pretty good quarterback here. I'm going to make this thing work. It's not going to be all my way. And he adapted. And, and, and I thought that they kind of meshed. It wasn't as great at the end of the year, kind of, you know, went back to a little bit to where it was. It wasn't bad. Uh, it just not, wasn't a, a, a real healthy relationship like you had with Dirk Cutter. Uh, and then that all happened. And, uh, you know, then Kyle left and took the head coaching job. So it wasn't like he was just blasting Kyle. It was just a, a matter of everything, the way it played out. And, you know, and when he said that about the play calls, it wasn't like the whole game was that way. And I know Matt, Myoko the pay, uh, up there from your area, went back and, and analyzed the play calls and how they could have taken more time. Well, that, that's not what he meant. He didn't mean the, the whole game. He just meant in their system. That's the way it mostly has been that the play calls took a long time in certain situations to get in. And it was hard to change the play.
2: Yeah. And it it was tough to see it end that way for them because they were so good for, for most of the season. And I thought Shanahan was outstanding for, for 98% of the year. I mean, he had one of the better seasons an offensive coordinators had, but despite the way it ended, I I felt he was very deserving of a head coaching shot. How do you feel about this hire for the 49ers? Do you think Shanahan was the right choice?
0: I do think he was the right choice. And, And you know, I've been critical of Kyle in the past. I'll be honest about it. You know, it, look, he gets a reputation in the league circles from you know he, he knows a lot of the younger media members very well, and and they, and they kind of prop him up. But, but but Kyle's adapted. Kyle's smart. He's done some really good things. I know a lot of coaches over the years that didn't that work with him didn't exactly love the guy. Um, you know, he came across as a as a as a brash arrogant guy. But when it comes to offensive football, aside Super Bowl aside, Kyle Shanahan is a brilliant offensive mind. He's smart. He's innovative. He's creative. He create matchups. He knows how to get the ball out of the quarterback's hand. I think he's going to be perfect for San Francisco. And oh, by the way, I think John Lynch is a great hire. And you know, look, Terry McDonough, who I've known a long time, was in that running. Probably would have become the GM if they didn't hire John Lynch. You know, at the at the eleventh hour. But John Lynch will work it. He'll love it. He knows football. He's smart. He will get the right people in there. I think they got a nice one-two combination in San Francisco.
2: And it's interesting you bring up Lynch. I, I was going to ask you about him. You, you, like I said, have been around the NFL so long and you're, and you're tied into the NFL and you heard names like McDonough and Elliot Wolf and, and and, names like that. When you heard Lynch was the hire, how shocked were you? Did it floor you? Did you have any indication that that might happen? I
0: don't think anybody had any indication it might happen because John wanted to kept on the, on, you know, the low key because uh if it didn't work out then he didn't want anything and being out there. And, and and I'll be honest with you, I think Terry McDonough would have got the job if, if if John Lynch didn't. And, and the Forty ers came away impressed with Terry McDonough a lot. You know, it wasn't the Elliott Wolfs, it wasn't all the guys that Charlie Casterly led to that led them to. It was Terry McDonough who kinda of wowed them. But then, you know, John Lynch was 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 the guy that came in and they, they really liked John Lynch. He seemed to mesh with, with Kyle Shanahan and I hear Terry McDonough did as well. Uh, and they hired him. And and I think John's going to be a good general manager. And I'm in Denver right now, much like John Elway. When John Elway took over, people wondered if he would be good. But you know what? John Elway knows football. John Elway works at it. He's one of the first guys in and one of the last guys out all the time. He understands the tape. He knows how to get players. He knows what it takes to win in the National Football League. And I think John Lynch is going to be cut from the same cloth. So I think that the 49ers are in good hands.
2: What do you think of his offseason in terms of his acquisitions and, and how he did in the draft?
0: Well, I think when you look at their off season, they had to be you know careful because clearly they're not ready to do it all in once, and you got, you can't just go out and throw money around in, in free agency. You know, I think adding Garcon will help them. It's probably a little overpriced for what he is, but he'll help them. I think Goodwin can fly if he can stay on the field and, and be a you know a, a down the field threat uh, as a receiver. Uh, you know, Zuda will pop, come in and help the, the center position. He's not great, but he's serviceable at center. Um, you know, getting Hoyer, he's the stopgap guy. It makes a lot of sense. And then I think the draft they knocked it out of the park. I think when you look at the draft, uh, they they probably you know could have stayed uh, you know if they had stayed there they probably would have, might have taken Solomon Thomas anyways you know so they get an extra picks for moving back spot, uh, and I thought they did a great job. I think Thomas, Buckner, and Armstead are a nice foundation up front. I think they're going to give them three big bodies that you know and, they, and they're all you know active and athletic. That's going to be a nice move. You know, Earl Mitchell's a good when he when he's on the field. At times, he's been a pretty good, solid player too. So, defensive line should be good. Uh, you know, the pass rush is still a concern. Where does that come from? Uh, that's an issue. And then there's issues in the secondary. But I think he had a good. You know, Reuben Foster's going to be a hell of a player for him. And you got him. Those are two first round picks uh, that you get. You know, the Witherspoon kid's an interesting kid. The kid from uh, from uh, Colorado. Uh, I like what he did. I think he's smart, and I think he's building this thing to something down the road. Now, it's not going to be anything until you get the the real quarterback. Uh, It's not going to be anything sustainable, but he'll get that next year.
2: And what are your thoughts on the the quarterback? Do you think Hoyer can be a solid, steady starter this year, or is he just simply a placeholder, get him through the season type guy?
0: He's done some good things in his career. I, you know, I know a lot of guys that like Hoyer a lot more than I do in terms of this play. But uh, but you know, what if you could uh, you could be, have a worse guy there starting a quarterback? I think, in, in fact, you probably did last year. I mean, uh, with Gabbard and Kaepernick, I don't think you know Kaepernick at times has looked good in his career, but Gabbard isn't as good as Brian Hoyer. So I think it made a lot of sense for them to get that kind of guy to to hold it until next year, and then you know, then they got to decide: his Cousins come free? Do they go after that? Uh, or do they draft a guy? And and next year's quarterback class is outstanding. It's loaded with guys. And, you know, Josh Allen from Wyoming to me is probably the, the, I know people are all high on Sam Darnold, but Josh Allen to me is the big, strong, physical kid who can fire shots from all over the field. And some people have prepared him already uh, to John, a young John Elway. So that's high praise.
2: You mentioned Cousins, and this is a story that I wonder if it's going to hang over the team all season. It's like a cloud, and it's so difficult to do this because, yeah, he's going to be tied to the team, but so much can happen over the course of a year. He can play poorly. He can get hurt. Hoyer can play great. C.J. Beathard can can look like the future. What's your take on this cousin situation, and how do you see it ultimately playing out?
0: Well, you know, he's not going to go back, I don't think, to uh, to Washington and unless he goes crazy and they want to tag him again. So then he's going to be on the market. And, you know, you, you're talking about a guy who's, um, you know, had two good seasons and, and Kyle knows him very well and, you know, would make a lot of sense there. But, you know, the the Rams, if golf doesn't play very well this year, you know, it could be the possibility of, uh, of you know, them with McVay going after him as well. So it might not just be as simple as saying he's going to go to San Francisco, although you would think that ideally that's probably what would happen. What if he doesn't play well this year? Though? That's, that's the one scenario mm-hmm. that people aren't throwing out there. What if, what if Cousins, who's had two good years, not great years, two good years, and, you know, he was five touchdown passes, five interceptions in his last five games, and they didn't make the postseason last year because they went two and three down the stretch. What, what, if, what if he's not as good? Uh, is, there's always that possibility. That would be an interesting dynamic if that plays out that way.
2: You did an article about overrated and underrated players on, on each team, and, and you mentioned the cornerback Rashard Robinson is being underrated for the Niners. Can you talk about him as a player and how you think he'll do in the Niners 4-3 system?
0: Yeah, I thought he, I thought he played better. I mean, as a kid, he comes in, he played you know, better than people expected him to play last year. And then, and then when you look at him, you know, he's, a, he's a long, linear corner. When you look at what, what they want to do in their defense, they, you know, they want to have those Taller corners. I mean, it's a, it's a, from the San Francisco 40, I mean, the Seattle Seahawks type of style defense. That's what he wants to run. So uh, I think he's a good fit there, and I think he's only going to get better. I think, you know, when you, you know, they've had quarterback issues for a long time, as you know. And, and if that kid can continue to grow, uh, I think he's going to end up being a pretty good, solid corner over there.
2: And there are so many new faces on this team. We mentioned Hoyer, Garcon, Solomon Thomas, Ruben Foster, to name a few. What newcomer do you think is going to have the biggest impact on the 49ers this year? Don't mention that high-priced fullback either. You know, you know, <laughs> he's an offensive weapon, Pete. He's an offensive
0: weapon. Uh, I don't, there's a million fullbacks. You can take a sluggo and make him a fullback. In fact, you know, he was one, by the way. You, know, you find those guys everywhere. That was a weird... I know they like to use the fullback in their office. That's still weird weird paying for me. But I, you know, they're, build, they're trying to build the run game. I understand that. But um, who's going to have the biggest impact? Ooh, that's tough. Does it have to be a free agent, or can it be a, a rookie?
2: Let's go with anybody, any any new face. Yeah, it could be a rookie. Ruben Foster, one of the biggest impact. Okay, I agree. I think I agree with
0: you. I think yeah. that kid's special. I mean, Ray Lewis, special. I, I think that's how good he can be. He is fantastic. He runs through football. He's violent. He's tough. He's athletic.
2: Uh, he, he's going to be a hell of a player for them. teams just? He's going to be a hell of a player. Yeah, were teams just that concerned about his shoulder? Is that why he dropped so far?
0: Yeah, and there were some teams that didn't like his attitude. You know, there were some issues from some scouts that I heard that were wondering about his, you know, off the field. Is What kind of kid is he? Is he dedicated to the game? But then you hear other scouts who say he loves it. So I think football is great for him. I think once he gets in the football field, he becomes a, a passionate guy about the game. And I think it's good for him. He'll learn. He'll learn, you know, like a lot of young players learn, that you've got to grow up. He'll grow up, and I think he's going to end up being a really good linebacker for him.
2: Now, Navarro Bowman has been such an important player for this team, but he's had, he's had two major injuries, and, and there's a lot of talk in the local media right now that he could be headed for a decline. Do you see it that way, or, or do you think Bowman can rebound and, and be a, an impact player again?
0: Boy, it's going to be tight. He declined last year. I mean, that was obvious in pass coverage. He wasn't the same guy. That guy was a dynamic player back in the day, uh, and it showed up in a big way last year. I, I think when you look at him, you've got to wonder if he can, a, a year later or so, if he can really respond to it. Uh, some guys do, some guys don't. But uh, I don't know if he'll ever be the same guy he was. Um, but he was a special player. It, it's kind of it's kind of sad when you see that happen to a guy who was such a great player to see that thing go bad the way it has because he clearly wasn't the same player a year ago.
2: Yeah, it's tough, and he he's been so important to this team. We're we're definitely hoping he could rebound to uh, get back to at least you know eighty percent of what what he was. Now, in terms of the NFC West as a whole, how do you see this division? Is Seattle still on top? Can the Cardinals rebound? Uh, can the Niners actually make any noise here? How do you see the division playing out?
0: I think it's a two-team race between the Seahawks the, the and the Cardinals. And and you remember, Seattle, yeah, Arizona went to Seattle late in the season and put up thirty something on them. And, and you know, and and Carson Palmer played well in the last seven, eight games of the six, particularly the last six games of the season. What they did last year is they rested him midway through the season on a Wednesday because that guy's a maniac. He wants to work all the time. They rested him. And he ended up you know playing significantly better, so I was just down there in Arizona, they're going to do that again this year. He's just not going to make a you know work, get a lot of work, you get a lot of time off in camp. Um, I think they'll be right in the middle of it. I think Seattle will be good again. I think the Rams and the 49ers are building to something. I don't you know they're they're going to be you know not walks in the park. I mean they're going to be tough physical teams, but I just think that uh you know they're they're both in terms of the quarterback probably a year away so from really even competing for the division.
2: Do you think the 49ers defense, because there is a lot of talent there, do you think it can play well enough this year to maybe get them to seven or eight wins, or, or is this is this a straight up rebuilding year?
0: They might get to five or six. If, you know, for me, it depends on the on the pass rush. I mean, where does that come from? I, I know you get Thomas and Buckner and Armstead, but but you know they need guys like you know Lynch and Carradine and Doomerville and and Brooks and all those guys to go in there and and, and become effective edge rushers. I mean, back in the day. You know, they, they could they could rush the passer when they were good. You know, that, that to me is on that side of the ball, that's first and foremost. I know they have issues in the secondary, but I think first and foremost they gotta be able to rush the passer.
2: You think Doomerville's got anything left?
0: Spot duty. I mean, you know, you can't you can't play him a ton of snaps, but I think in spot duty you can help. Yeah, absolutely. All
2: right, Pete. Before we let you go, um, we do a rapid-fire segment at the, at the end of all our interviews where we just want the listeners to get to know our guests a little bit more and, and get to know a little bit about you. You know, We read your stuff. We know about you as a football writer, but get the fans to, to know a little bit about Pete. So well, we're going to do a little rapid-fire questions. And to start off, what are some of your favorite or go-to movies?
0: Goodfellas. Oh, me uh, too. Starface. Starface. Um. Those are my two two of my favorites right there. Goodfellas and Scarface, Godfather. I mean, you're i love the a movie. Yeah, you're a mob movie guy. It sounds like. Yeah, I'm a mob movie guy. I like a lot of the mob movies. Raging Bull back in the day. I mean, if anybody ever, Robert De Niro was fantastic in that. I mean, great, great, uh, great, great. Murder in the first. You remember that movie? It was filmed in. Uh, it's based in Kevin Bacon and Alcatraz. I do. A little note. Great movie. And yeah, it was a, a really movie. good. Movie. I loved it. Yeah, I loved it. So yeah, those are some of them.
2: All right. I know you like mob stuff, so I'm gonna, I think I know your answer to this this next question, but we'll see. What are some of your uh, favorite T V shows?
0: All time. The yeah. Wire. The okay. Wire is number That's a good one. one. Uh
2: Sopranos right up there. That's where uh, I thought you were going. Yeah, but you're gonna throw the Sopranos out there. What's that? I figured you'd throw the Sopranos out there, definitely, yeah, if you if you're a mob guy.
0: Yeah, and I just got into Game of Thrones. I binge-watched it in the off-season, and uh, I, I like it. And I know people put it up there as, like, one of the greats of all time. Really good. I don't think it's in the category of those two shows, though. Um, I, very, very good. Not right up there with them, too.
2: Did you do Breaking Bad? Were you into Breaking Bad at all?
0: I did. I enjoyed Breaking Bad. I did. I, I like Breaking Bad. Another good one. I watched the spinoff, you know, Better Call Saul. I like that one, too. Yeah, I, you know, and, and I like those kind of shows that make you think, you know? Um I wanted to like True Detective, but I came away disappointed from it. It wasn't as good as I thought it would be.
2: The first season I really liked for True Detective. The second, the second season, I couldn't even get through it. It was brutal. I don't know what they were trying to do there, but maybe, maybe if they have a third season, that they can they can come back around. So,
0: by the way, all I right. do watch reality. I do watch reality TV with my wife sometimes,
2: and that's and I hilarious. Didn't I all you I, were yeah. I know. I mean, yeah, I don't really up. know you well, but you just don't seem like the type of guy who would be <laughs> into that at all. <laughs>
0: I'm a, I'm a voyeur. I'm a nosy guy. I like information. <laughs> I like finding out things about people. I, you know, like, oh, that's another movie that was one of my favorites. That, remember the Titan? one of my favorite sports movies of all time. Maybe the favorite sports movie of all time. And I go back. I always go back, and when I watch a movie like that, I go back and see how the real story played out and find out you know, was, were Julius and, and Bertier really friends like they portray him in the movie, and they weren't like that. So I, I like to find it. For, I'm an information guy. I like finding gossip on people. I'm nosy.
2: what was who is your favorite athlete of all time all
0: time huh john stockton's right up there oh okay okay you're a big basketball guy yeah I, i love the nba um john stockton was my favorite nba player probably of all time now when i was a kid growing up i'm trying to think who my favorite football player was i ate I just like the I the I was a New York Giants fan growing up. I used to love watching Fran Tarkington play. Um, but I really never had a favorite football player. You know, I, I that was I don't know why, but I never really did. Kind of like the way the league likes it, you know, they want you to root for teams, not players.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Did you have a favorite team in any sport growing up that was just like your go-to team, your live and die by team?
0: I was a Giants, New York Giants, New York Yankees, New York Knicks and uh, New York Rangers, although we weren't huge hockey fans. I, I've, I've since got into hockey, but I wasn't back then. But, yeah, those were those are my four go-to teams. I, I loved the Giants. I mean, the Giants were, uh, in my family, that was like a, a every Sunday. You know, when we were little kids, uh, mm-hmm. we'd get dragged off to church on Sunday, uh, and then we'd go get all the food for for the show and, and then go watch the Giants play and watch all, you know, there were only like two or three games on back then every afternoon. But it was like, and, and for me, being an Italian, you know sundays were supposed to be italian dinners and mm-hmm. my father and mother kind of broke the tradition and my grandparents never quite understood it no no not anymore no <laughs> sunday dinners they're going to be football you what you will eat in front of the tv watching football and that's kind of where my love of the football came from
2: do you still i mean even as close to the game as you are now do you still find yourself rooting for the giants or are you almost just numb to it now no. because you're so close to it
0: i don't root for i don't root for anybody anymore i you know Part of me is like if I know a guy really well, I hope he does well, or, you know. But I don't. I mean, for me, winning and losing is is uh, you know not there in terms of of the NFL. The only thing I really passionately root for anymore is Arizona State football. That's it. Okay. It's it's it's. I want to sit on the fifty yard line at a at least a semifinal game one year before I die. And, and, <laughs> and you know what? I sat on I went to the Rose Bowl in 1987 little Arizona state upset Michigan with Jim Harbaugh and I sat on the 50 yard line at the Rose Bowl my mother gave me that as a as a christmas present and I went out and, and it was one of the best days ever watching football for
2: me it's great it's great all right last question is is there one food that you can't live without pizza me too me too
0: without you are- a doubt and, and 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 believe me without a doubt I'm a pizza connoisseur. I mean, I, when I, if I go into a city, I try to find what people say is the best pizza. I've eaten pizza, Pizzeria Bianco in, in Phoenix. I've eaten uh, the famous one in Regina, I think it is, in, in Boston. Uh, I love Anthony's Coal Fire Pizza in, in Florida. It's, it, Marino has a piece of it. It's, he has an, it's, there's an Italian restaurant. Anthony's Runway 84 is one of the great dining experiences. They have fantastic food in Fort Lauderdale. Uh, it's, it's, they have a disco bowl in the middle. It's unbelievable, but the food is fantastic, and he has a spin off. Anthony's Coal Fire Pizza is really good, but I'll give you, I'm going to tell you something right now. The best pizza I've ever had in my entire life is from Aruba.
1: Really?
2: Is There's that a, a thin pizza? Who, Was it a thick? Because I'm a pizza an,
0: snob, so I have to hear about this. It's a nape, it's from the guy Is from Naples. It's a Napolitan pizza, you know, the Naples. The, and it is unbelievable. He makes his own mozzarella, he comes out from the back, and he's like a proud, you know, artist when he gives it. it is I'm telling you, all those other pizzas were really good. Pizzeria Bianco, Pizzeria Regina, Anthony, but the best pizza I've ever had was made by an Italian guy in an Italian restaurant down in Aruba. It's fantastic.
2: It's gotta be the Italian and a sacco Prisco. I'm the same way. I'm just a huge pizza snob. It drives my wife crazy. I just, I have to have certain kinds of pizza when I have pizza. And I'm the same no, way I, when I go different places. I, I got to try, no, I got to like, try different pizza. I'm not, you
0: know, I, I don't think Chicago pizza is really pizza and they're going to get mad at me. I like it, but that's more like eating like a plate of lasagna to me. You know what I mean? Yeah, you dig in with your fork. Pizza, you need to be able to pick up a slice, bend it, and waggle it a little bit. You know what I mean? That's pizza. That, you know, when you got to go in for the fork and knife, that isn't pizza to me. So I, I, I like Chicago I pizza. I hope Chicago, if there's any Chicago fans out there, they don't get all agitated because I like <laughs> Chicago pizza, but I just don't, I don't think that's the same thing. So yeah, I, I, pizza is the one thing if you, if, if, if it's hard to give up and you know, you try to get, be clean, eat as much good stuff as you can, but every you know, two weeks you got to dive into a
2: good couple of slices. Have to, I eat healthy too, but I got to have my pizza. There's, there's no, there's no way around it. No way around it. So You know,
0: pizza only, you're going to lose weight, by the way. So that would be an interesting dynamic.
2: (laughs) See how that works out. Um, Pete, I can't thank you enough for the time tonight. Um, Had a blast talking to you. Good luck this season. Thank you very much.
0: Have a good season and uh, maybe we'll do it again. You got it.
2: Absolutely. We'd love to have you back on. Thank you.
1: Man, all that talk about pizza really, really makes me hungry. And I, I got to say, you know, I, you guys are talking about Chicago style pizza. That's my jam. That's that's what I do. <laughs> you know, my my wife is from Chicago, so I, I have frequented all of the pizza joints over there. Giordano's, Luminati's, Gino's East, you know, they're, they're they, they produce some quality pies. So I got to say that I'm, I'm a Chicago style guy. Really? So even if, if you have your choice, you're going to go to Chicago style pizza over, over like a thin New York slice. I mean, I know you're from New York, so it's kind of biased for you, but man, yeah. I just like, I like a little substance in my pizza, right? So just a, a, a nice big slice of Chicago style. That that's what, that's what holds me over.
2: I agree with what Pete said, like as good as in, listen, deep dish is amazing, but it's kind of, it's like its own meal. It's kind of not pizza. Like if I want pizza, like he said, I want to get, you know, a slice that I can, you know, fold. And we, we actually have pizza, um, where I'm from and, and the sauce is on the top. So you have, it's a thicker pie. And then you have like a layer of cheese or a layer, of whatever your toppings are, and then the sauce is on the top. And it sounds a little weird. It's like an upside down style pizza, but it is absolutely fantastic. If you
1: ever get the chance to try any kind of pizza like that, you got to do it. It's awesome. I'm gonna I'm gonna hold you to it. Next time I go to New York, we're gonna meet up and we're gonna have pizza together. Absolutely, absolutely. But Al, it's it's uh, you know it's getting so close to the first preseason game, and and I feel like there are still some unanswered questions. And one of those things is it's the the depth of the safeties and they seem to be dropping like flies. We're only 4 days in and by the time this airs we'll probably be 5 days in and and the 49ers are really down to like their third safety. Both Jimmy Ward and Jaquaski Tart have been have been out with injuries and you know it's just you know what, what what's going to happen with this safety group. Well,
2: it was a little telling when the original injuries happened to me because you had when Ward went down Tart was starting at free safety. So it looks like to me that Tart is going to be the main backup at both strong safety and free safety. If if he can handle the free safety position, I'm a, I, I was a little surprised that they put him back there, but the depth isn't there. So now you have Eric Reed banged up, you have Tart banged up, and you have Ward banged up, and the Niners are trying to find some answers there. Um, they had Lorenzo Jerome getting most of the reps at free safety, and and listen, we've had him on the show. We know how dedicated he is, and we're huge fans of him. We've been very vocal about that, but. It's a bit unfair to ask an undrafted rookie, any rookie, to come in and and play that kind of a role right away but it is going to be good for Jerome to get this experience. And I thought he was going to make the team anyway. And I think this will solidify it as he gets reps with the ones and, in he'll, I believe be the backup free safety. But this, this was a concern. Jimmy Ward, he was counted on to be the main guy as that free safety and, and he's missed 13 games in his career. He's a guy who's been hurt. So this is going to be an ongoing issue. Reed and Tart playing that box strong safety. That's a demanding position. It's a physical position. so. You know, there's the opportunity for them to get banged up and injured. So, we knew this was a rebuilding effort. We knew every position wasn't going to be super deep. But safety right now looks thin, and you can go into the season with some major issues if Ward's hamstring lingers. If Tarts' ribs are serious, it looks like Reed's going to be okay. But you could end up in a situation where Lorenzo Jerome could be starting week one if 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 um, Jimmy Ward's hamstring lingers. And I like Jerome, and I think he's going to be a really good player. But with any young Guy at a, at a new position in the league
1: could be some growing pains, so it'll be
2: interesting to see how it all plays out.
1: Yeah, and and I, it's interesting that you pointed out that Jukowski Tart was the first one off the off the bench and into the the starting free safety role. And it, I really feel like his skill set is not suited for a free safety. I feel like he's he's a perfect fit for that that in the box safety role. You know, the Cam Chancellor kind of role that that they play on the Seattle defense. I really feel like he's more suited for that. Although he did say he's he's comfortable with playing both, but we we have a bunch of guys that are kind of not really free safety types aside of aside from Lorenzo Jerome that are are left healthy. You look at at Don Jones; he's a special teams guy, and Vinny Sinceri, he's also a special teams guy. So they really have pretty much a bunch of special team guys behind Lorenzo that are that are really trying to make it work and again like you said this is part of the rebuilding process you you find out deficiencies that you have and then you fix them so this isn't something that people should be alarmed about i also want to point out that another one of our guests adrian colbert he uh, the the corner out of out of miami he plays he can play some safety too although they have him primarily lining up his corner um in the, in this part of training camp but he's played safety in college as well and he's definitely got the speed to be able to play that center fielder role so it'll be kind of interesting how they work him in as well I think it's going to take a little bit of creativity by Robert Sala to shift his lineup around to get some of these healthy guys um, on the field and some of these injured guys back in uh, once they're, once they're healthy. But I think that it's, if there was a year to be thin and, and to kind of flush things out and, and to kind of figure out the roster it's this year, they're not going to contend this year. So they can just kind of take their time to see which one of these guys is the best and I, I, it's interesting. J- Lorenzo Jerome has, I believe, in his last four practices, he has three interceptions, or or like two interceptions, something like that. I was I was looking at at, at Twitter, and, and Matt Barrows was tweeting out that he's he's regularly been around the ball, so he has the ball skills. Now it's just a matter of getting him the experience to step in at safety. In,
2: in Jerome in, in college, I'd have to get the exact stats, but it was something like he forced twenty three turnovers in forty collegiate games, or something ridiculous like that. I mean, he's a ball hawk. So he's definitely someone that can make plays when given the opportunity, but the issues in the secondary, there's injuries at the safety position at the cornerback position. It could just be a matter of who's going to line up on the opposite side of Robinson and reports from camp are pretty much saying, you know, Marquise Goodwin is having his way and you have to look at the other side of the ball there. It's, it's Reeser and Johnson, who there's been some issues covering covering now both of those players are in the last year of their deals, and I've said this numerous times on this show. I've tweeted this. These guys from the old regime in the last year of their deals, I really feel if they struggle or they're not up to par and they don't play well in preseason games, I think the new regime is going to move on and get the younger players in there, get a Witherspoon in there, maybe get a veteran from another team. Why stick with Johnson and Rieser if in the last year of their deal if they're not getting the job done? So I'm interested to see what they're going to do there. And also, you, you have Williams and Will Redmond um, competing at the nickel corner. Maybe Redmond moves outside if it gets that bad on the other side of Robinson. Cornerback right now is a position where you might want to be a little bit
1: concerned if you're a 49ers fan. Yeah, it is. And uh, I want to first point out and say that Rashard Robinson has been having a pretty good training camp so far. It's only been less than a week. But the guy, I, I've been saying this since he was drafted and I'll continue to say this. I've, I've written it in articles and I've tweeted it out. I've I mentioned it on our podcast. I think that Rashad Robinson is going to be a star. I think that he has the, the athletic ability. He has the speed. He has the length. He has the awareness. And most importantly, like if you, if you hear stories coming out of camp, like he's talking a little bit of trash too. So he's got definitely got the swagger that it takes to be a top corner. You know, you have to, you kind of have to have a little bit of a little bit of cockiness and arrogance about you. If you're going to be a really good corner, all of the great ones have, and, you know, you look at Deion Sanders and Rod Woodson, and I would say Daryl Green was an exception. But uh, Richard Sherman, as much as we hate him, he's a he's a great corner. All of these guys had an attitude about them that you are not going to catch the ball against me. And Richard Robinson is really developing that. So uh, I want to start off by saying I'm really, really impressed with him so far. But beyond him. I agree it's it's just a bunch of question marks and i'm kind of disappointed that dante johnson isn't stepping up i i really had high hopes for him he's a, especially when he came out as a rookie and played some pretty significant snaps and played pretty well if you ask me and he's he's a big corner just like they they like in this sort of scheme but he just he just can't stay with quicker receivers and uh, you know i i really think that at some point we'll see Rashad Robinson and Akella Witherspoon. And I think that they're going to realize that they're going to have to get these young guys or reps and whether Will Redmond stays in the slot or whether he's going to come outside really it just depends on, on his strength. I think that you need to have at least, at least more than one slot corner in this league. When you see so many three and four wide receiver sets, you have to have a really, 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 um, really, really deep depth chart when it comes to defensive backs. So I think that we're going to see the younger guys sooner rather than later. I think that what you're saying is correct. I think that with these guys expiring contracts coming up, there's no there's really no incentive for them to keep a lot of these guys and and you will see some turnover uh, with regard to the corner spot. The best way that you can cover
2: up issues in the secondary if you have young guys who are developing whatever it is is with pass rush, right? So yeah. One of the things that is, has been very encouraging is is to hear how the D line has looked so far. Where Eric Armstead looks like a beast, and he did last year too. And I know he got hurt, so he's he's got to carry that into the season. Buckner looks like he's going to be a force. Solomon Thomas, you know, again, I know it's, it's only been a couple practices, but looks really good. And then you have Doomerville and Aaron Lynch is slimmed down, and he's playing with a fire underneath him. So all of a sudden, this this pass rush and and, and Pete mentioned that too. You know, where's the pass rush going to come from? And there are question marks there, but. All of a sudden, maybe they do have a pass rush, and maybe they, they may not have a 10-sack t- guy, but they may have three or four players that can come in and get six or seven sacks, and all of a sudden, you have a balanced attack on the pass rush, and you have a nice a nice little pass rush there. So that's a possibility, and, and, and that's one thing for this defense that can turn the tables a little bit if, if the secondary is young or, or banged up. If, if they can get to the quarterback, it'll
1: cover up a lot of flaws. Yeah. And, and, if I'm not mistaken, Pete really loved Buckner coming out of college. So I think that he was, he was dead on with that prediction. And I believe that he had mocked the 49ers uh, or mocked DeForest Buckner going to the 49ers correctly as well. If I'm not mistaken, I'll have to, i have to do some research. I'm not, I'm not like, I'm not like Al where I have like all my stuff, like pre, like <laughs> pre letter. It's like, it's like a dinner menu, right? You have like, you know what you're having for, for your appetizer and then your entree and then your dessert, right? I'm not like that. I'm totally, we're, we're polar opposites. Which, was, which is what makes it work, right, Al? Exactly. I got like my play call sheet with all my stats on it and everything <laughs> like that. So viral, yeah, there you go. But I, I, I digress. But getting back to uh, the, the pass rush, I think that there – I was watching one of the Twitter videos that Matt Barrows posted today, and it was Solomon Thomas going up against Zane Beatles in the pass rush drill. And I didn't realize that Solomon Thomas had that many pass rush moves. Like you can tell that he's – if you look at the tape from last year from his from the Stanford's, uh season 2016 and if you look at the pass rush kind of moves that he has now it, it's it's pretty it's pretty telling that he's been doing some work with some of these guys like warren Sapp and von miller and demarcus ware and it, you can definitely tell that he's put the work in so i was actually pretty impressed with solomon thomas and beyond him one guy that you didn't mention was actually ronald blair and that's that's a guy that can also get to the quarterback too you know he he was the conference player of the year coming out of college last when he was uh, when he was drafted two years ago and he's another one of those guys he's kind of undersized but he can definitely get to the quarterback so I think that they are banking on having a strong defensive line to cover up a lot of those deficiencies and you'll see um, uh them kind of focus on the front seven and in, in the next year or two as well to kind of shore that up
2: before we jump over to some of the offensive players that have stood out, how about Ruben Foster so far? I mean, that's our guy, right? You yeah. know, that's that's the guy that we've been talking about all offseason, and yeah. he's
1: looked good so far, hasn't he? Oh, he's been, uh, all the reports that I've read and heard have been rave reviews about him. He has three interceptions in his last four practices, and mind you, yeah, some of them weren't with pads on, and it's only training camp, and he's working in with the, the threes and fours, but you have to understand that, if he wasn't performing and if he was, if he was just totally lost and if he wasn't learning anything, then, then people would be getting on him on, on the other side and being like, why isn't he, why isn't he learning anything? Mm -hmm. Why isn't he progressing? So he actually, today, how Shanahan in his press conference mentioned that the pick that Ruben Foster had today was the exact same play that he bit on yesterday and got beat deep. So he learned from his mistake yesterday, came back today and, and ended up getting a pick out of it. So, it's clear that this guy is just, you know, a total football mind and and he lives to play the game. And a lot of the concerns that people had about him, about the shoulder and about the personality and all that stuff, I think those are going to be put to rest soon enough. And jumping over to the offense, the 49ers desperately, desperately,
2: desperately, desperately need to find playmakers on offense because we don't know who they are right now. You know that Pierre Garçon is going to be a good chain mover type of guy, but where are these explosive plays going to come from? Who? How are we going to hit the big play in? So far, Marquise Goodwin in camp has, has been doing just that. He's it seems like every time you turn around you hear he, he grabbed a 60-yard touchdown pass. Can he break out this year? You know, he hasn't he didn't do it in Buffalo, and but he's in a system now and his with a coach who you knows how to take advantage of his speed. Is he gonna be the big play guy? Is he gonna be the guy to break out?
1: Yeah, one thing that that Pete said in the, the interview was that kyle shanahan is just an offensive genius he's he's one of the brightest offensive minds in the game if not the brightest so you have to believe that he's going to scheme guys like marquise goodwin open and that, that's that been there have been two names so far that have jumped out to me every single practice so far this camp it's Ruben foster and marquise goodwin both of these guys are making plays every single day and marquise goodwin is just beating everybody he's it doesn't matter who's on the other side of him; he's beating everybody, which is encouraging because the Forty ers haven't really had a legitimate deep threat that can get open in a while. You could say that Torrey Smith was a deep threat, but he was kind of miscast as a as a number one wide right receiver. He was more of a number two or a number three guy. So I, I'm really hopeful about uh, of, about Marquise Goodwin and and what he can bring to the table. and And I think that we'll see him line up in the slot. We'll see him line up outside. We'll see him line up out of the backfield. They'll they'll probably move him around, open uh to, to scheme him open and get him in get him in space and get him the ball. So and the other thing is that Brian Hoyer it, when he's when he's throwing the ball to Marquise Gooden, these throws are on the money. Like he's not he's not overthrowing him. Marquise Gooden is not having to the lay out. They're literally like when you see the videos of these on Twitter and, and on 49ers.com, you'll see that he's literally hitting him in stride. So it's it is again I, I do caution everybody it is training camp and it is the, the beginning of the year, but it's nice to at least have some toys to play with, isn't it? It
2: is. And and
1: you you mentioned Hoyer, who's obviously,
2: you know, QB one, without a doubt, he's he's entrenched as a starter. What I thought really stood out to me is that CJ Beathard was getting some work with the twos already. And keep an eye out for the first preseason game. If if Beathard's working with the twos, there's not even Matt Barkley may not make this roster. If if they think Beathard is is that good, maybe they only keep two QBs. You know, I mean, and it's a possibility if he's gonna if he's gonna jump over Barkley. So I I just found that very interesting that this quickly in camp that Beathard was already taking snaps with the twos and and I know that's that's taking a risk only carrying two QBs but the niners did it when it was Alex Smith and Colin Kaepernick under Jim Harbaugh they only had the two QBs on the roster so you have to wonder if if Beathard makes strides here it, keep an eye on this preseason game if if
1: if he's coming in early that that really change you know turns the tide a bit at the quarterback position it does and if you think back on it though is it really that much of a surprise because Kyle Shanahan he. This was kind of his handpicked quarterback in this draft. This was some guy that. This was the guy that 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 Coach Shanahan had singled out before the draft and said that I, this is the quarterback that I want to draft this year. We knew that they were going to draft a quarterback at some point, point. and C.J. Bether turned out to be the guy, mostly because he ran a pro style offense at Iowa, and when you have guys that are coming in running pro style offenses from college, they kind of require minimal maintenance when they get to the next level because literally it's just. It's it's kind of just learning the scheme, but they have all the fundamentals down because of what they what they ran in college. So, I'm not I'm not so much surprised that C.J. Beathard is is possibly leapfrogging Matt Barkley. I am with you though in saying that I'm surprised that it's happening this soon. And I really think that they are going to have an efficient allocation of roster spots. And what I mean by that is that you're not going to have an excess of one position they're going to kind of spread everything out because you really need to find out what these guys have. And if you load up on one position, it takes away from other positions and it takes away from finding out what other players have because, uh, you know, kind of taking a tangent a little bit with with what happens when you have have a new front office and a coach is that they have to take, a, take an assessment of what you currently have on the team and they have to know what everybody's strengths and weaknesses are. And you don't know that until you actually play. So once they play a little bit, once they have gone through a half a season or 10 weeks, then they kind of, know what type of team they have and know where their deficiencies really lie for the next year so that it can address those. So I really think that, you know, like I'm with you, I, they they may just keep two quarterbacks. And it is a risk with C.J. Bethers a rookie, but they may they may practice squad him. But regardless, I think you'll probably see two active quarterbacks on game day and that's it. Last thing I wanted to touch on was, and
2: listen again, I, I know that it's early, but the Carlos Hyde situation. And what I wanted to say about that was, John Lynch and Kyle Shannon aren't stupid. They know what's being said in the press. They hear what's happening. Is this Hyde's last year? Is he going to get cut? They they know what's going on. And I was really impressed by them that they came out at the beginning of, of camp and, and really praised Hyde. They said that um, you know, he was down in weight, that he was looking good. And, and, and I thought that, that was a good step in, in sort of gain, gaining faith again with Hyde and, and showing that they are committed to him for this year because he is their most talented back for sure. And Tim Hightower is going to play his share of snaps. I, I think he's a good fit in this offense. Um, I also think that um, Joe Williams will eventually, as the year goes on, see more and more playing time. But Hydes, unless something unforeseen happens, he's going to be around this year. And, and for them to commit to him, again, I I, I really like for me personally. Now, they also signed Lewis Murphy today, who who is a wide receiver to one-year deal. What would you make of that, Zane?
1: that's kind of interesting and we had we had heard of some injuries with the wide receivers and and uh they they seem to be building this team with with some with a mix of veterans and rookies it's not just one or the other so i think that lewis murphy he he adds a little bit of everything he he can return kicks and punts and he's a he's a long lean receiver so he's he's a pretty good route runner as well he's a veteran he's a guy that they can kind of count on it's it's what you see is what you get, and they know what they're getting from him. So it's one less question mark. But the question I have is that it, does this kind of spell the writing on the wall for guys like Bruce Ellington or DeAndre Smelter and Aaron Burbridge? Is this is this kind of the end for them?
2: Well, that's interesting because you know they're the bigger receivers. And uh, listen, I, I still think it's going to be a Victor Bolden if they keep a sixth guy because of the versatility, because he can return kicks. And I think Murphy return kicks too. Um, if they want a bigger body, they they could go the you know the way of of Murphy, but that sixth receiver competition, if if they do indeed keep six, and and we are assuming that Goodwin, Garcon, Robinson, um, Trent Taylor, Curley, or or Shuenz, so if they do indeed keep a sixth wide receiver, that's going to be one heck of a competition uh, between Bolden, Kendrick, Bourne's playing really well. Murphy, Smelter, and Burbage. Keep an eye on that, and as the preseason games go on, it's 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 going to be
1: interesting to see for sure. So, yeah, the, usually with the number six wide receiver, they want some, and a, and the five wide receiver as well. They want guys that can contribute on special teams as well. So, guys that can return kicks and punts, or act as a gunner on punt coverage, or return or cover kickoffs. They need guys who do multiple things. It's almost like they. The uh, number three and four linebackers, right? Like they're guys that usually play special teams, guys that you don't usually see on the field a lot and in normal downs like Dan Scuda and, and, uh, remember Tavares Tar- Gooden and th- those sorts of guys, Absolutely. right? So, yep. yep. Yeah. So I think that's the case here is that with Lewis Murphy, they, they kind of want a guy that can, that can maybe do more than just catch the ball. And that's the theme of John Lynch's roster is versatility, right? It's guys that can do multiple things, not just one trick ponies. So, um i i think that's the 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 rationale behind that yeah
2: it's going to be exciting i'm i can't wait for these games to start i'm i'm really itching to just see this team on the field and see how they're going to perform and and see how they grow so definitely a very exciting time for
1: sure now i know there's an open practice coming up yeah, there is actually an open practice coming up. It's this Saturday, August 5th at Levi's Stadium, and yours truly will be covering that for 49ers Web Zone. So if you guys see me out there, give me a high five, say what's up. I'll be doing most likely a Facebook Live from there as well and um, hopefully talking to some of these beat writers and, and uh, these personalities that uh, you see on Twitter. And I'll be doing my best to give you guys the best coverage um, of the day and give you guys the events as they, as they unfold. And I'm, I'm really looking forward to it. I, I really like what they've done this year with the fans and opening up practices more. And um, if you notice now, they, there was, there was a, fan o- a practice open to the fans a couple of days ago. And the fans were kind of, they were off to the far field. So uh, the, the training complex of Santa, Santa Clara has three adjacent fields. And they were off to the furthest field. And the 49ers were practicing on the very, the very first field. So they were like really kind of just across two foot like a, a full football field away. And John Lynch called all those fans and he called them onto the sideline of the 49ers of the field the 49ers were practicing on. And this was this was like kind of like his call. Like he he thought that they were too far away and they got to interact with the players a little bit after practice. So they're clearly changing the way that they that they treat fans. And I think that's a really, really good sign. Yeah, it was awesome to see that. And
2: I, I, I thing that I've said again multiple times, they just get it. They just get what they're supposed to be doing with the fans and in with the media and with the players. These guys just absolutely get it. And after the last regime, which could be a little prickly, I guess to say in some places could be a little hard to deal with, um, it, it's definitely good to see. So, but Zane mentioned that he is going to be at the open practice, and and, and listen, he'll he'll be tweeting to Follow Zane at Zane Forty Nine, or you could follow me at Al Sacco Forty Nine. Zane will be covering that open practice and a couple other shameless plugs. Um, I was on 95.7 the game over the weekend. So if you want to listen to that, you can just go to their website and search Al Sacco. Um, I'm going to probably be on there Um, most of the season as I was last year. I'm a guest periodically, so that's a lot of fun to do. Um, And also we're going to be on Niners Radio as well on um, Wednesday, August 2nd. And that's something as well you can go on. Go and listen um, afterwards. Go to the website, and, and that'll be up, too. And we'll keep you guys up to date on any, any appearances we have and things like that. Um, Zane and I hope to be out there and doing a lot of different things this year and, and really have our voice out there. So it's going to be good. It's going to be a fun season. Thanks, everyone, again so much for joining us. For Zane Akfi, I'm Al Sacco. We'll talk to you soon.
1: Peace.